Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. We're going to start with a scripture that you might know in John 10.10, where it says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And it's Jesus talking, saying, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. It sounds amazing, doesn't it? It sounds so appealing. When I read that, I'm like, yes, Jesus, please, I want me some of that. And then last week, we announced that the words that we're kind of talking about this year are, it's personal. We're talking about that it's personal. And, um, and the verse that we read out when we said it's personal at the end of the, at the, end of the message was Matthew chapter 16, 24 to 26, where it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? It's also recorded in Mark 8. It says, Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? It's also in uh, Luke chapter 12 and John chapter 9, but we're not going to read them all. Sometimes it says that he was speaking to his disciples. Sometimes it says he called the crowd to him. Other times it was in response to a question from the crowd. But in any case, Jesus said these words and he said it to a whole bunch of people. And when I think about that, I think, Jesus, are you trying to get rid of the crowd? Is that what you're hoping to do by saying those few verses? Like, that's the best way to get rid of a crowd. Stick to your other message, Jesus, about I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. But I'm wondering, because that verse, I might, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, is kind of only half a verse. And it's sandwiched in this whole section. We're also going to have a separate kids' church building to the building next door. <laughs> Um, But in the meantime, I hope that you love hearing the kids enjoy themselves as much as I do, Um, (laughs) clearly. Uh, But in this, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full is sandwiched in this whole section about Jesus talking about being the gate and being the shepherd. and, And actually, it's half a verse that says, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And he's saying that he has come to give us life, but he gives us that life by laying his own life down. So what I'm wondering here this morning is perhaps Jesus' life to the full looks very different to our life to the full. What does your life to the full look like? When I think about mine, it pretty much involves my bucket list. I want to go to Ireland. Maybe a Europe trip. Um, Maybe um, when I retire, six months in a village in France, and, you know, Daz won't be able to communicate with anybody because he doesn't know French, but that's okay. I'll, I'll be the interpreter. I don't actually know French either, but I will learn it. And um, like that would be amazing. A functioning family, as if that even exists. I know some of you have the perfect family. Good on you. Hey, hey, yeah, hey, whatever. Um, but friends that you can trust, that make you laugh and that you can cry with. Financial peace, how good would that be? Um, which, in fact, you can start on that pathway on Monday night if you'd like to, the financial peace course. Um, the, the ability to eat out once a week at least. Oh, I'd love that. Um, the odd weekend in Sydney. And so we live in pursuit of happiness, don't we? We live in pursuit of a full life, of an Instagram-worthy life. 
So when Jesus says that the only way to live life, to gain life and to keep life is to give it away, what does he mean? I had the best analogy of this once because I'm wondering if maybe our eyes are on the wrong goal. You see, one thing we know as Christians, as people who love Jesus, if you're one of those here this morning, that actually you can be just as miserable as other people. You could actually like really just have your lives falling apart just as much as other people. And um, we could be disgruntled. We could be just as selfish and even just as slanderous. You're saying, no, that is not me. Okay. (laughs) I'm glad that that's never you. Um, But we have troubles on many fronts and we don't mean to. We're like Paul. We do what we don't want to do and we don't do what we do want to do. And and, and sometimes we just, we get it wrong and, and, and we don't feel like we're living the full life that Jesus called us to. And then some people that you know, they have the ability to do their bucket list 10 times over and yet they're still living visionless and purposeless and even miserable sometimes. We can have it all and still not feel like we're living the full life. So what if our eyes are on that wrong goal? I heard the best analogy of this once. The person said that if you're trying to win a premiership, you don't kick to the trophy, you kick to the goal. You gain the trophy by kicking to the goal. And so I want you to imagine that if the Sydney Swans made it to the Premiership this year. No, I want you to, in faith, say when the Sydney Swans make it to the Premiership this year, that Isaac Heaney got the ball all the way down the field to Buddy Franklin. Isaac Heaney, drop, name drop right there, and uh, got, the, got the ball down the field to Buddy Franklin, who's 70 metres from the goal, who actually can kick that. He's been the 11th um, year in a row of the best goal kicker for whatever club he's in. He gets paid $10 million dollars for 10 years for that, so yay. Um, And so he's there and he's ready and it's on the bell and he's lined it up. Where is he kicking? He's going to kick to the goal. He's not kicking to the trophy. But by going after the goal, then he actually gains the trophy as well. So sometimes I think we go after all the prizes of life, we go after all the things of life when they're not actually ever the goal, but we actually find the life that we want if we give it away. So let's read this same passage from the Passion Translation. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely reject and disown your own life. And you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own as you continually surrender to my ways. For if you choose self-sacrifice and lose your lives for my glory, you will continually discover true life. But if you choose to keep your lives for yourselves, you will forfeit what you try to keep. For even if you were to gain all the wealth and power of this world with everything in it, With everything it could offer you at the cost of your own life, what good would that be? And what could be more valuable to you than your own soul? Now, you can actually interchange um, the word life and soul in this passage. And and we know that sometimes soul makes it more personal. If I was to say to you, Sue's a great chick, that's one thing. But if I was to say, oh, Sue has a beautiful soul, then that's something else altogether. The soul kind of speaks to who we are inside. And and, uh, that word in that passage, soul and life are interchangeable. It's actually the same word. And that word is pasuke. And it, it means that the very the very essence of who you are. It's, the, it's the, the Hebrew version of that word is when God created the world and he created all the animals and all the mountains and everything else. But then he breathed into mankind. He gave his breath to mankind. And in that breath, he ensouled mankind. He gave them something different to the rest of creation. And it's from that word, basuke, that we get our word psyche, which means you know our, our mind, will and emotions. It's who we are, uniquely who we are. And, uh, and so when it's talking about this, it's saying, I, I, you can't get any more valuable than that. That's the most valuable thing you can own. And we know this as well, because if, 
If you know, for example, if someone's caught in a domestic violence situation, they eventually get freed and they eventually get healed and restored. They, they say things like, oh, I feel like myself again. And they say they feel like through all the pain and all the misery, they lost something of themselves in that, in that scenario. Uh, when, when people are caught up in addictive behaviours and lifestyles, their family will say things like, oh, they're just not who they used to be. So there's something about who we are and that we need to protect and that is so valuable and is the very part of who we are that is also our life that we need to hold so valuable. But Jesus is also saying that we need to give it away. So what do we do with this apparent incongruity? Well, let's look at it. Number one, it says that you must give up your own way in that passage. Or in the um, Passion Translation, it says, reject and disown your own life. What does that mean? How do you reject yourself? Like, aren't we trying to avoid rejection? Don't we all feel enough of rejection in our lives as it is? How, why would you reject yourself? And, and why would you disown yourself? You can't just stand in front of the mirror and say, I disown you. But what we do know that there's something breathtaking about someone who puts himself last in order to set someone else up. When we look at William Wallace, who stood against tyranny in England and was willing to give his life for it, we, we, there's something inspiring about that. When, you know, Private Desmond Doss saved 75 soldiers at Hacksaw Ridge without even taking a weapon in, something lifts in us about that. We look at Mother Teresa who lived in abject poverty and decided to forego whatever she wanted to do in her life in order to serve the orphans and the dying and the poor and the raped and the widows. When she did that, we all go, wow, that's incredible. That's so inspirational. It's the stuff they make movies of. And when we watch it on Netflix, we get goosebumps and we go to bed feeling really happy inside. And yet God calls us to the same. Maybe not in India. Maybe, well, definitely not in Scotland in like the 1700s or whatever. You can't, unless you've watched that weird show. Um, but the, um, <laughs> sorry. And so we're all called to it. We're all called to a way of life that is actually inspirational, even though we don't see it ourselves, but it does involve pain. And personal comfort's really nice. And yet Jesus says there's a higher way of living. Self-denial, just let me make it clear, is not the opposite of self-love. Because if it was, then self-denial would be being called good and self-love would be being called bad. But Jesus says that love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Essentially saying, you'll love your neighbour best when you love yourself as well. And when you're able to love your neighbour, not out of your own insecurity and hurt and stuff like that, but actually because you feel safe and secure because you love yourself as well, then you'll always be able to serve them best. You'll actually be able to love them even when they don't return your love. So self-love is a good thing. We can actually have self-love and self-denial at the same time. Here's how this looks. Self-denial is not an in operation when we make no attempt to check our own desires. If our desires are paramount and priority, then there's no self-denial in place whatsoever. Self-denial is not operational when there's an impatience in our nature when we're crossed by others. Now, I know we all get like arced up a bit when someone crosses us and, and we hate that. But if there's never a point when we can just kind of let that thing go, where it can't just flow over us and we get on with life, but it just stays in us churning and churning, there's no self-denial in operation there. Self-denial is not in operation when we're grieved when others do well. Ooh, that's one that we kind of don't even admit, but is some of the really ugly things we feel sometimes. Oh, that's sad. You lost your job. Oh, you've deserved it so much. Um, so no one ever felt like that. Okay, self-denial is not in operation 
When we're more about advancing ourselves than advancing the whole, that's when self-denial is not in operation. So it could be said like this, self-love is not appropriate when it puts us higher than others and especially God. If we're putting ourselves, if we love ourselves when we're putting ourselves higher than others and higher than God, putting our place in the seat of God, God, you should be judging it this way and, and I think I've, you know, I know how this should go right now, then that is not appropriate. But self-love is always appropriate when it's spent on behalf of others. It's always appropriate when it's spent on behalf of others. Jesus, of course, is the ultimate example of this and it says in Philippians that though he was by nature... God in every way. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather humbled himself and being found in the likeness of a man was obedient even to the point of death and death even on a cross. And so Paul said, that being the fact, then this is actually true of all of you. He said, this is how I want you to live. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I have to be honest because I'm preaching in church and all that. I'm, I'm glad that it says not only your own interests, because that means we can actually have our own interests. Like, I, I, I'm glad it says that in there. Um, but it says not only your own interests, but the interests of others. So are you looking at people and trying to set them up for a win? Do you ever look at people and think, is there anything I can do to make your dreams come true? Like, I'm in your life. I've got some degree of um, relationship with you. Is there anything I can do to make your dreams come true? Can we place their dreams coming true in the same importance and priority as our dreams coming true? That's the kind of self-denial that Jesus is talking about. That's self-denial kind of Mark 1. And then self-denial Mark 2 is saying, I just want to lay down my plans, God, for your sake. I'll continue on them, but if you ask me to, I'll lay them down for your sake. Whatever is important to you, what is important to me comes a very distant second. That that I never look at my spouse and just look into his eyes. And if you know Daz and he wished he could be here this morning, he's in Armadale. Um, if you knew him, like you could look into his eyes, you could l- get lost in those blue eyes. But I'm never going to look at him if I'm living in self-denial and say, you're everything to me. I'm going to look into his eyes. I'm going to say, you're my number two. And if you're sitting next to your spouse, just look next to them and just say, you're my number two this morning. I feel insulting. But Jesus is saying that if we live like that, that that's a way to gain your life. That's actually a fuller and a richer way of living than we ever knew possible. Um, and, and actually, in his context, he's, he was very much talking about his life. We're not so much challenged with our life. But we need to be prepared that if our, our country changed or if things changed, that we would be prepared for our faith to give our life and it says that we'll actually gain it. I have friends that we're not even allowed to mention publicly the countries that they go into because if it was known that they're trying to advance the good news about Jesus Christ in those countries, they could very really lose their lives and that is incredible. But in our context though, we're not regularly threatened on that level. So it's living as our lives don't matter, that our lives aren't the most important thing to us, that's self-denial. Number two, is share my cross. In other versions, it says, take up your cross. Share my cross and experience it as your own. You see, the hearers of this would have completely known what it meant when he said, share my cross, take up your cross. Because 70 short years before Jesus was born, um, the enslaved gladiator Spartacus had risen up in rebellion against the Roman Empire. And the legions of Rome put him down and in order to teach a lesson to every other rebel, they crucified 6,000 rebels along the Appian Way, the road into Rome. 
And, uh, and so there were kilometers upon kilometers of slowly dying men hanging on crosses as people walked through. So when Jesus said, take up your cross, the crowd then would have shuddered. They knew exactly what he was talking about. There was no one in that crowd that had a, an overbearing boss or an inconsistent friend or a dishwasher that had broken down and went, oh, well, that's just my cross to bear. Um, they, they, they didn't use it like that. It was this, this serious suffering thing. And so it created, a, a, it was a source of confusion through, um, through time and, and people actually thought, well, my life is okay, so I better seek out suffering if I'm really going to fulfill these verses. And, uh, and in late, later days, they were called ascetics, not aesthetics, ascetics. And they, they had lived these lives of incredibly self-disciplined lives. But Jesus was not an ascetic because sinners don't make friends with people who are like that. Sinners love people who can, I'm not saying he got on it or anything, I'm just saying that he was fun to be around. And so there were priests later, in later years, that in one example would wrap barbed wire around their thigh because they thought we need to suffer for Christ. And so they'd sit down on it and, and let it dig into their flesh and, and they'd press down on it and that because they felt like their suffering would get them closer to Jesus. That's not what he meant in this passage. You know, you can actually become proud of your ability to withstand suffering. So that's not true Christianity at all. I love the way that Henry Ward Beecher puts it, an American minister in the 1800s. He said, let your opportunities for self-denial come to you. But when they do come, don't flinch. So don't go looking for them because there's going to be plenty. Let them come to you. And when they come, don't flinch. God will send you occasions enough for denying yourself. There is wood enough in every man's forest to build all the crosses he will need to carry. So, so there's crosses enough for you right now. And some of you have incredibly heavy crosses right now. Some of you are struggling under the weight of the cross that you're bearing and you don't even know if you're going to make it through it. And, uh, and this, this verse, this passage that we're reading would say, just keep going, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Don't put it down, don't go the way of escape, just keep going through it, just keep going. And then there's others of us that, that, that we've got so many little crosses coming and their number and their frequency make up for any lack of weight that they might have. And so whatever season you're in and whatever cross you have, how about making it your decision that you're going to learn whatever lessons God has for you in this season? That actually, you're never going to face that particular cross again because you've already learnt the lessons that you needed to out of that cross. So you're not going to go around the mountain and just face the same thing again. And that actually, you're going to look at that cross and you're going to get and, and extrapolate every last little bit of growth out of that sucker. And when you're past it, you're going to be so glad that you did. And don't forget that the cross was the ultimate symbol of sacrifice, but Jesus turned it into the ultimate symbol of love. So anytime we spend ourselves on behalf of others, we're fulfilling both symbols. Sherry's cross. And finally, number three, follow me. This is the adventure, to follow where he leads, to follow where he takes us. Someone once said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And he turned to them and said straight away, there's pain in that. That's uncomfortable. You see, he told them up front the difficulty of following him. Others said to him, well, Jesus, we'll follow you, but first I've got to do this. But first I've got to do that. Sitting here today, do you have a but first? There's something that you feel like God is leading you into, but you've said to him, okay, God, but first I've just got to get this in order. Or but first I've got to take care of that. He's not interested in your but first. He's interested in you giving your whole life. That's what he's after. One scholar writes, we have a Christianity made easy as an accommodation to an age which loves personal comfort. And that's actually true of Western Christianity. 
Another writes, it prepares for a surprising disappointment when the inevitable facts are discovered. It is a mistake of the lower method that it only appears, appeals to the selfish desire of personal safety. What it's saying there is that we sometimes say, you know, Christianity, it's got these, these and these great positives and it does. But actually, we're only appealing to the selfish nature of man that says, I can, oh, okay, it's a better life. Okay, I'll go with that. But yet there's a part of us that is, rises at inspiration, that rises at the ability to live a bigger life than we ever imagined. It's a bit like this. At home, we've got this street line. It's right outside our bedroom window. When we had evaporative cooling, um, we always had to leave a window open in the house. And so, of course, for security reasons, it was our window that was left open. And that light just, like, it just, shone directly from where it was onto my pillow and I just I, it used to annoy me so much I knew that it was good I knew that it was helpful I knew that it was safe and it was good for security but it just annoyed me a little bit there was something I'm just like I, I there's something about that line but you see we go traveling a lot at night and uh, recently we we're coming back from Port Macquarie Isabella had to work the next day and we thought we were going to get up early and go but the night before we thought no we'll just go now so we swam all day we went out for dinner and then we came home and because we often travel late at night, we often have to stop on the side of the road to go to the toilet because nothing's open. And we're on Ginger's Creek there and there's this pit toilet, which are the foulest things in the world. Um, but we, we got there and we got out and as we opened the door, the, the sky was alive. Like the sky was just magnificent. And it, it went all the way from here, all the way to over there, just shining brilliantly with stars. And you see, I always have like this... <gasps> moment because I grew up on a farm and I'm used to skies like that but but I don't see them so much in town anymore it was majestical it was just stunning majestic's not a word um, um, so so it was just absolutely stunning but it's always there that sky is always there but I just don't see it because of the light that's there for safety and security in the meantime could it be that that's like our lives our, our Christian lives our, our, our lives that we seem and they're good and they're safe and they're providing light sure but there's something much bigger and grander out there if we could just get away from that safe place that would be incredible it's a bit like Braveheart really isn't it some of you know what's coming <laughs> But this is, I think it just, it's, it just gets it so much. When William Wallace, sure it was a Hollywood rendition, but he probably did say that back then. When he's in front of the, of the horses and everyone lined up ready for battle. And he says to them, he says, we all end up dead. It's just a question of how and why. Every man dies, but not every man really lives. I am William Wallace, and I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men, and free men you are. What will you do with that freedom? Will you fight? And a man makes a statement that I think just encaptures the whole of our Christianity sometimes in the Western world. He says, no, fight against that. No, we will run and we'll live. And William Wallace says, I fight and you may die, run and you'll live, <laughs> at least for now. And who knows, many years from now, lying in your beds, whether you trade all the days from this day till that, just for one chance, for just one chance to stand here against your enemies and say, you may take our lives, but you'll never take our. Yes. Oh, 
That was a risk. I didn't know if you knew it. <laughs> you know what, church? As if just living was ever really the goal. If it was, then we'd run to wherever we could find safety and we'd just live. But life to the full is the goal and it's more than we could ever imagine. So let's come to our feet here this morning. And we're going to pray. I just want to ask you a question right now. And uh, the question is, I'm going to ask two questions actually. The first one is, have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you made that decision in your heart to follow Jesus? Or is it a decision that you made a long time ago and you've walked away from it now? Or is it something that you're like, okay, I've just heard the entirety of what I can expect from being a Christian. And yes, actually something has risen within me and I want to follow Jesus. So let's close our eyes to give everyone just a moment to think about that question. Have you decided to follow Jesus? And this morning, if you want to follow Jesus and you've never made that decision or you made it a long time ago, I just, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand on the count of three. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. I'll just acknowledge you and you can put it back down. And we're going to pray together as one. So if you want to follow Jesus this morning, just lift your hand. One, two, three. Awesome. Put your hand down. Awesome. Thanks, mate. You can put your hand down. Is there anyone else here this morning that wants to follow Jesus? That's so good. Can we firstly just give these two people a massive hand? The Bible says that the whole of heaven celebrates when one sinner comes back to him. And so we always make sure we celebrate as well. Well, we're going to pray together um, in just a moment. I wonder if you've grown accustomed to living the safe life. I wonder if that's become your goal, to ride out this life in, in safety and security. And you've recognised again this morning that Jesus has called you to much more than that. Go ahead and close your eyes again just so that you can have privacy and aren't looking around the room. If that's you this morning and you're like, yep, I've made that the goal, and I realise I'm kicking towards the wrong goal because a safe life is coming one day, but right now our life is to be lived and lived to the full. If that's you this morning, would you go ahead and raise your hand? Thank you, everyone, for your honesty. You can put your hand back down. Is there anyone else that is like, yep, that's, that's where I'm at. I'm not, I just want to live safe. Okay, thanks. Well, we're going to pray all together as one. For both those who have decided to follow Jesus for the first time and those who are saying, Jesus, I need to follow you in the way that you've asked me to. If you could just pray after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice on the cross. Jesus, I want to follow you. I make this declaration today that my life is yours. Help me to know what to do with it. Don't let me live in safety all the time, but take me where you want me to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's so good. Can we celebrate again as Dan comes? Hey again. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.